Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, February 15th, the Vintage Suitcase Edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, age seven, and Leo, who is three and a half. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and Lily, who is 17. She is my stepdaughter. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we have a couple of great questions. We have one from a listener who is afraid about the effect that her toxic mother-in-law is having on her children. We have another from a listener whose husband takes care of the kids all weekend while she works, and she is not happy about the way he does it. Plus, of course, we will have triumphs and fails. We will have recommendations for you. And on Slate Plus, we'll be discussing going away on trips, leaving your kids behind, how to stay in touch with them, and how to minimize their loneliness and despair. Uh, Let's start with triumphs and fails. Uh, Carvel, do you have a triumph or a fail? Uh, I have uh, a fail that I think became a triumph. Um, So this morning, uh, normally I pick up the kids in the morning at 7.55. I usually text them from downstairs at Joe's house to the family group chat known as FamBam, and then I just text here, which is what I normally do, and then uh, they come downstairs, uh, usually Georgia first, and then Ezra comes trailing behind. This morning I had something I had to bring up to the house, so I went upstairs, and uh, I went to Ezra's room, and it was about 8 o'clock on the dot, which is technically the time we're supposed to be leaving. We have each intersection timed. We have to be at this street by 8.01. We have to be at this street by 8.03, you know. And so um, so I get up there at 8 o'clock and I'm like, we got to go. And Ezra's standing there. He's wearing his pants and his shirt, but no shoes and no belt and doesn't have his bag and all this stuff. So he starts gathering all of his gear uh, to leave and uh, it was fine. He seemed a little bit, I don't know, harried maybe. I don't know if that's the word, but, you know, he was gathering his stuff. And so I made the mistake of saying, watching him for a few minutes and then saying, you know, if you just got out of bed 10 minutes earlier, you you wouldn't have to like carry all this stuff because he he's doing this thing where <clears throat> I've mentioned this before where he's moved he like one by one each element of getting prepped in the morning, he's now like sort of shifted it to the time in the car. So now he's at a point where he literally just puts on pants and a shirt and that's it and maybe socks but sometimes not even socks. And then he walks to the car with all these possessions, a backpack, lunch, deodorant, razors, uh, shoes, a belt, 
and sometimes socks. And he carries all the stuff to the car. He throws it in the back seat, and then he gets in the car, and then he proceeds to complete his getting ready routine in the car. Which not only does it make us late a lot because we'll get to his school and he'll still be putting on his shoes, but um, he also drops stuff. Like he'll forget things. This is how he ended up three times this year forgetting to like wear shoes to school <laughs> because he was carrying all this stuff. And then he got to school and was like, "Oh no, Dad! I don't. I thought I had. I thought I had my shoes with me, but I guess I left. I left them upstairs." So I said, "You know, if you just got out of bed ten minutes earlier." You'd be blah, blah, blah. And before I could finish that sentence, he said, you know what, Dad? I just – you're so bad at this. Like it's not motivating when you tell me that. <laughs> he was like, okay. He's, he's like, you're good at some things. You're good at writing or whatever and but whatever. But like you just suck at this. I can't I – can't, I can't deal with it. And I just was like, whoa. Like what happened? And so that was like painful and hurtful. And also I was like, all right, you, it's not a good idea to argue with a teenager. So I kind of let it go. We got in the car. Then it turned out that the shoes he wanted to bring today weren't just shoes that he's worn before, but brand new gleaming white vans that he just bought that needed to be laced. So now he has to lace these shoes in the car in addition to all of his other like prep activities. So when I saw that, I said, oh, my God, are you? And then I stopped. And then he's like, yeah, Dad, I am. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm not. So, so we drive to school and I decide not to say anything else about it. Georgia and I sit in the front seat, he's in the back and we're, we're making small talk about, uh, collective consciousness as as one does with a 12 year old and so by the time Ezra gets to school, he's mostly ready to his credit. He's mostly got it together. He gets out of the car, but this thing bothered me. Like I, I just, because he lost his temper with me so quickly and I felt so hurt and like kind of offended and also just befuddled, like Am I asking something unreasonable by saying, get dressed before you leave the house? Like, put on your shoes before you leave the house. This strikes me as an infinitely reasonable suggestion. And I just was having a hard time with why it is that that that, that triggered him so. And am I doing something wrong? And, um, and so after I dropped Georgia off, I was still, like, kind of persevering over it. So I called Joe. And uh, I was like – I texted her. I was like, do you have a moment to talk about your son? <laughs> she was like, yeah, give me a call. So I called her and I was like, well, you heard what happened this morning. She was like, yeah, I did hear what happened this morning. And I was like, can you offer me some advice or insight on, on what's happening? And she was like, I'm going to tell you a story. She was like, when I was 20 years old, the summer before I met you, I lived in Brooklyn. She lived in Williamsburg. And she was like, I, I bought this suitcase, this vintage suitcase at this antique shop in Bedford. And that summer, I was to go visit my in-laws, not my in-laws, my, um, my step-grandparents in Des Moines, Iowa. And the way it works is that you can't get a direct flight from JFK to Des Moines, so you fly to Kansas City, and then she was to meet her parents there, and then they were to board this little teeny tiny plane from Kansas City to Des Moines. So Joe's got this um, this vintage suitcase, and they get to the second plane, and it's a tiny little puddle jumper, and there's no room in the overhead baggage compartment for the suitcase. So Joe gets to the thing, and, and the flight attendant's like, yeah, you're going to have to gate check. And Joe's like, I don't, I don't want to gate check this because this is my vintage suitcase. And it was this wildly impractical suitcase. Like, I'm sure it was beautiful, but it was like it didn't latch right. And, you know, this is an old suitcase, not a rollerboard, none of this, like, efficient stuff that we've since discovered is better for traveling. It's this vintage suitcase. So the flight attendant and Joe start arguing while her parents are standing there about this suitcase. And they end up, like, the way Joe describes it, literally wrestling over the suitcase, like the flight attendant's trying to take it out of her hand. Joe's like trying to snatch it back. And at some point, Joe says, this is my grandmother's vintage suitcase. <laughs> this is an antique and this is really important to me. 
And her her own mother was standing there going, what? That's not my mother's suitcase. Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so eventually Joe has to give up the suitcase. It gets gate-checked, and the story becomes one of family lore. And she was telling me this story because she was, like, reminding me that, like, when a kid has created something that they feel is of value, it doesn't matter about logistics. It doesn't matter about efficiency. They are establishing that this is what they do and this is their thing. And if you try to take that away from them, you're not just taking away some little thing. You're taking away their whole sense of their selves. And um, Joe had this parenting mentor once who said to her, the thing to remember about kids is they have time for this shit and you don't. And that's where 90% of the conflicts come. Like Ezra has time to like do this cockamamie, what what to me is a cockamamie morning routine that involves him like walking to the car like a hobo with all his stuff spilling out of his hand. And I, I don't have time for that, but it doesn't matter. Like he has time for that. And not only does he have time for it, it's really important to him because that's his creation. He feels that he's hacked time. He's like, created this great life hack where he can, can get ready in the car instead of in the house like a normal slave to society. <laughs> and it's really important to him. And, uh, and every time I confront him on it, no matter how rational it seems to me, it drives him up a fucking wall. And it was really, it was really great for me to be reminded of that. So it started off as what felt like a failure of me as a parent. But after talking to Joe, I feel like I gained greater insight on on just a reminder on what it means to deal with a kid. And it's the same thing when they're little and they want to hold the blanket and you don't want them to hold the blanket and they won't let it go. It's the same thing. Even though it's 14, it's the exact same thing as, as what we do when we're three years old and five years old. It's important to him. Mm. And it's annoying to me, but it's more important that I give him his space. So that was the realization of this morning. This is like a college entrance essay that you just gave us. Like, this is what I learned about myself <laughs> through my adversity. Lacing That's really up, good. Lacing up his shoes in the car is his vintage suitcase. <laughs> that is his vintage suitcase, yeah. Hmm. Um, that's really good. It, I can see how that would seem super efficient because otherwise he's just wasting time sitting in the car and he, he can now redistribute Absolutely. the time to sleeping, which he would rather be doing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yes, it's that's the, an extra 10 minutes he gets to, to dick around in the morning yeah. and that's really important. The, the logic yeah. is perfect except that it's such a stupid idea because he, then he's showing up at school without his shoes. But other, <laughs> other than that, the logic other is perfect. That, yeah, the logic is perfect. Unassailable. Exactly. Um, Rebecca, yeah. go. Do you have triumph or fail? Uh, I've got a fail, and it's mostly because I tried to take the easy way out of something, and it ended up being much, much harder. I, um, My son, Teddy, really wanted to sign up for voice lessons. Uh, he loves singing. He's got a beautiful voice. And I am really kind of tapped out and just being able to get him to things. My primary driver, Henry Lavoie, is out of town mm. for the entire spring semester. So, <laughs> you know, signing somebody up for another, like, thing, it's like usually, you know, you look at all these schedules of all this, like, availability. And it's not like it wasn't when we were kids where there's, like, a lady down the street who teaches. It's not like that anymore. You have to, like, sign them up at a school or, like, with a teacher who has, like, a really sort of set schedule and has this one opening at, like, 4 o'clock on Thursdays or whatever. So just looking at that, realizing that it would be really difficult for me to actually logistically add this to the schedule, 
I found this teacher who this is not what I'm about to tell you is not the teacher's fault. She's wonderful. Um, but she teaches voice lessons by Skype and she loves teaching boys and she lives in way northern New Hampshire and she's the wife of someone I know a little bit. And I was like really excited about it. And I'm like, I have a studio in my house so like Teddy can come home and do this Skype like on a real microphone in the studio and have like this really great experience. But it turns out to be so much more complicated because it's long distance. When he wants to work on a song, like right now there's this Beatles song he wants to work on. So he has to communicate that with her. And like he's a terrible communicator. So then it turns out I'm the one who has to send the email saying like, Teddy really doesn't want to work on the song you sent. He wants to work on this one instead. She's like, OK, well, here's this website. Download the music. Send me the PDF. I'll make him some piano tracks. I'll email it back to you guys. And then he can have the piano tracks to practice. And it has turned into this like complete logistical nightmare where it's so much more work for me than it would be if I just left work for an hour and a half on a Thursday and like drove him to this lesson and back. <laughs> so this is like a really good example of like taking the easy way out or thinking, you know, I'm going to save myself the trouble and do this other thing. And it's just completely not working out at all. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we can figure out a way to salvage it. A huge part of it is just that Teddy is a terrible communicator like he does not even when something is important to him and he knows it that it's important he's just not good at just being on the ball with like reading his email responding to his email so you know one of us always has to say like teddy check your email like i got cc'd on an email you got an email he's just terrible at it and that's a separate conversation um but it's not something i took into consideration when i started this i kind of thought like he would just be able to turn on the mic on thursdays they would do something and then he would practice all week. I didn't realize it would be all this other stuff. So it's kind of a fail. Uh, well-meaning, well-intentioned fail, but a fail nonetheless. Yeah, you're trying. <laughs> trying. Yeah. Trying really hard, guys. Yep. <laughs> all right. I have a, um, I have a Valentine's Day fail. Um, we uh, Today we are recording this on Valentine's Day, Wednesday, the 14th of February. And um, – so this is to do with, you know, uh, Leo is in the threes. And so he's at an age where everybody makes a valentine for everybody else in the class. And uh, at the beginning of the day, you drop off the valentines in the cubbies, right? And so we had the whole list of everybody in the class. And and he had his valentines. And, you know, uh, my wife helped him, like, I say helped. My wife wrote out the names of all the kids and wrote a message. And he did a little <laughs> mark. He's three years old. He's, the, you know, so he makes valentines for all the kids. It's great. Um. A couple months ago, we got an email from his teachers, went out to the whole class, um, and it said, just to let everybody know that Jessica is no longer going to be in the yellow room. Jessica is one of the other students. She's no longer going to be in the yellow room. Um, we miss her and wish her well. If you have any more questions, go talk to the principal about it. Basically, there's some kind of situation and Jessica is not going to be in the yellow room anymore and we don't know what it is. Fortunately, <laughs> Jessica is not a kid I had ever heard of before. Um, he has never <laughs> reported playing with Jessica. So I, I'm not expecting him to like ask, like, what happened to Jessica? Where's my dear friend Jessica or anything like that? So this was a couple months ago, um, it, water under the bridge. I'd completely forgotten about the whole Jessica situation. And then I'm there with him this morning and we've got his Valentine's and I'm playing a game with him where he's going to identify which cubby is whose. Like, oh, here, this Valentine is for Holden. Can you find Holden's cubby? Here it is. And he sticks it in the cubby. And this Valentine is for Eva. And can you put it in her cubby? Yes. And he sticks it in. And this Valentine is for Jessica. 
And it was like a record scratch moment. Like every other parent and kid and him in the Cubbies area who were all doing the Valentines, there's just silence. And they all look at me like, you have mentioned the name that is no longer <laughs> spoken in the yellow room. <laughs> and and Leo like looks up at me kind of worried. And he looks over towards the Cubby in between like uh, Jane and Julia. And it's completely empty. You know what I mean? Like Jessica, <laughs> right. there's no name tag on it anymore, but that was Jessica's cubby once, but it isn't anymore. And uh, he looks at me and he looks at the cubby and I'm like, oh, right. Okay, no Valentine for Jessica. Let's uh, move on to the next Valentine. But that was a really awkward Valentine's Day moment. Hmm. So, so what mystery. happened to Jessica? I, I wish I knew. <laughs> I mean, I, I would go talk to the principal and if I thought that she would give me any useful information that I could share with you or with the listeners of Slate's Parenting hmm. Podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting. But uh, it doesn't seem likely that I'm going to get any kind of usable info there. Um, huh, it sounds like the uh, subject matter for Slow Burn Season 3. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Jessica? <laughs> if we could figure it out. We no. Could, <laughs> we could do a really good Slate no. Plus segment all about no. Jessica. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, probably not. I'm sure Jessica and their family need their privacy. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. Uh, I want to tell you about another great Slate podcast, Working. Working is the show about what people do all day, from barbers to drag queens to Stephen Colbert. On this season, the podcast is all about animals with jobs. Check out the episode, How Does a Miniature Therapy Horse Work? to learn about the day-to-day -day life of a 100-pound dog-sized horse named Magic, named one of history's 10 most courageous animals by Time magazine. You will learn all about how Magic treats trauma victims, helps injured people learn to walk, and generally spreads good feelings wherever she goes. To check out that episode and many more, search for Slate's Working wherever you get your podcasts. Also, wanted to let you know that Slate Live is thrilled to present Employee of the Month, a late-night talk show all about work recorded in front of a live audience. Each month, host Katie Lazarus shares the stage with the people who interest and inspire her for candid conversations about the work they do. This month, she'll be joined by comedian Hannibal Burris, actor Emily Mortimer, and musical guest Resistance Revival Choir. That show takes place March 15th at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. For information and tickets, visit slate.com slash live. Uh, on Slate Plus today, Carvel, Rebecca, and I are going to be talking about going away on trips. I've been going away on a lot of trips. I've been trying to uh, figure out how to maintain things with Leo and Eliza while I go away. I'll be talking about what I've figured out and asking them for some help. To hear that segment and to get more segments like that every week and to get this podcast with no ads and all of your other Slate podcasts with no ads, you know what to do. Sign up for Slate Plus. 
Uh, it's also a great way to help support the show. Just $35 for your first year. You can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And in return, you get extended ad-free versions of this show and our other shows, plus a lot of other great benefits. If you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, this show, Slate's parenting podcast, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash momanddadplus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, back to the show. Time to take a question from a listener. This one came to us over our voicemail. If you would like us to answer a question of your own, give us a call at 424-255-7833. Here's our first call. Hi, Mom and Dad are fighting. I'm calling for some advice on how to deal with toxic family members, specifically in my case, a toxic mother-in-law. My mother-in-law lives approximately four hours via plane ride away from us and comes to visit maybe once or twice a year. She used to come for my stepson's spring break and for summer break, which involved visits lasting um, two to three months at a time. That began to be a bit too much because of her toxic behavior that I got to witness for myself. Um, Since she's been coming to visit, she has abused her prescription pills as well as alcohol. She has gotten into physical and um, shouting matches uh, with her husband at our house in front of other house guests. She has um, gotten into fights at our wedding reception, also another friend's family wedding reception. Um, And most recently, her worst behavior has been accusing her husband, my father-in-law, of molesting my niece, my brother and sister-in-law live a few hours drive away from them and they were on a visit and during the visit my mother-in-law accused her husband of molesting um, my niece who's five and um, my brother and sister-in-law were horrified and went through the whole process of taking their daughter to therapists and counselors trying to work through everything they tried to get information from my mother-in-law and she could never give them specific details about what she saw or thought she saw during their visit. And after about two weeks of going through this round and round process, she finally admitted to them that she had an episode of psychosis due to some medication that she was taking, and she just imagined the whole thing. I'm at a loss at what to do. She's supposed to come and visit our home in about a month and a half, And I can't trust her around our son. My husband and I have a son together who's almost two. And I don't trust that my mother-in-law can watch him alone. I don't trust her. You know, she says that her psychosis is over because she's not taking that medication. I can't trust, you know, anything she says. So the short of it is how do I deal with, you know, the impact on my husband and the situation how do I deal in the moment if things arise with my mother-in-law? And how do I navigate um, my mother-in-law's relationship with my son if she tries to offer to, say, babysit for us or watch him unsupervised? Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. I, I want to know where is the husband in all of this? To you, she's your mother-in-law, but to, to your husband, then she's his mother. And, and it, it seems like it, it's on him to manage that relationship in a way that feels safe and healthy for, for his kid and his wife and his family, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was a big mystery to me, too, is like she talks about how do I deal with the impact on my husband? I mean, what is the impact? Does your husband think it's okay to bring this 
not just mother-in-law, but also just the the family system, um, you know, into your home where your kids are. I mean, you are not in any way obligated to maintain this relationship or to force your kids into this relationship. It's it's interesting. I was just reading, you know, recently there was – you guys probably saw it. There was um, – in around the holidays, a big arc, bunch of articles published around new, new research around estrangement and, and family systems and how, you know, the myths around estrangement are that it's rare, are that it's, you know, it, it involves some sort of huge trauma. But really what estrangement is, is like a relationship that isn't working anymore. And it's as unrealistic to expect family members to have lifelong close relationships as it is for relationships to last forever and be lifelong and close. Like it's just as common for family members to want to sort of divorce each other or break up and and not have relationships. And I really think your mother-in-law has given you good reason to want to to break up. Um, I I would not want this energy, this behavior, this pattern of, um, I, I think it goes beyond toxic. I mean, I'm surprised and in some ways not surprised that your uh, sister or sister-in-law didn't call the police when this allegation of molestation um, came out. I'm guessing, this is just a guess, that maybe it's because there was a suspicion that there was something not necessarily credible about that allegation. And that tells me more sort of about the pattern, uh, the lifelong patterns here. And um, yeah, I, if I were in the situation that you described and um, my husband were, say, close to his mother and there were a disagreement with us about it, I would draw the line. I would say, you are welcome to spend time with your mother, but I am not doing it and I'm not subjecting my kids to it. And I think if it is as the way you describe it, you'd be hard pressed to find pretty much anybody who would who would disagree with that choice, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I, I could not agree more like this. You know, it's interesting. The, the, the stuff that falls under the definition of toxic behavior is wide and varied. And um, this is something that I always think about when people write in or call in with questions about uh, such and such a family member being toxic and um and so there are edges there but this this is not that there's no gray area here if, if what you described is indeed what has happened this is a person who um is struggling in a lot of ways to maintain sanity this is a person who sounds like they very likely have a drug and alcohol problem um psychosis on top of that and one of the things about that that I think people we always need to be reminded is that Whatever behavior goes on during the worst of those addictions and diseases, um, it, it it remains on the record. It doesn't. It it can't get wiped away. And oftentimes, people will sort of, well, I'm better now, and I like I I no longer do that, and that's all well and good. But it doesn't. We don't have to feel an obligation to change our feelings or response to them based on what they feel like is a new chapter in their lives. I mean, if that makes sense. So like the fact that the things that you described are really bad. It's not like, yeah, that's not ideal, but hey, we all make mistakes. This is bad stuff. And this is especially bad stuff where children are involved. So I tend to agree with Rebecca and Gabe that like there's a firm line that you have every single right to draw in every way possible. Now, the second question of this is like the enforcement of that line. Like, how does that get communicated? How does that get, uh, you know, what do you do when there's pushback, what have you? 
And this is where I, too, go, well, where is your husband in all this? And um, this is his mother. And I do know that sometimes if people have mothers who struggle with mental health issues, a lot of times the way that they respond to that in adult life is by developing remarkable um, ability to disengage because disengagement becomes a survival strategy when you're a child and you're around a mother like like that. And so sometimes um, those of us who have had that experience, we do that as adults too. We learn how to, we, we go into a kind of like sh- turtle in the shell mode when, when the behavior from the toxic parent becomes overwhelming. And um, that may be what's happening with the husband here. But despite that, he does have to be the front line of defense here because it's his mother. And you have every right to say, well, you can do whatever you want with your mother, but I am 100% certain that my the interactions between your kids and my mother are going to go along these boundaries, and that is what it's going to be, and that's the end of that story. Mm-hmm. However you communicate that to her, however you deal with the fallout from that, that's on you, but that is where I'm at. And it's a terrible situation. There's no easy way out. And people who are toxic and emotionally abusive – they don't let you just say to them, hey, you're toxic and emotionally abusive and I've made this decision for my health. They don't just go, oh, cool, I get that, right on. Like they throw more crazy stuff at the wall and they mm. they continue to try to put new positions and, and emotionally blackmail you and bully you into doing what they want. And it's a very painful experience, but you have to walk through it because none of this behavior is acceptable and there should be no leeway here at all, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. The, the the caller asked about like what do we do if she wants to babysit for the kid alone? That's that's so yeah, that's far not. outside of yeah. the range of possible <laughs> that we shouldn't even be talking. Like, no, she's not. This is not a person that you want taking care of your kid alone. The question is whether this is a person that you want around your kid at all, even while you are there, or if this is a person yeah. that you want in your life at all, or if like if you want to have a relationship with this person. In any way. Um, so hopefully um, we can reframe your thinking around that a little bit. Um, if if you agree that, that the relationship needs to be reconsidered and, and um, renegotiated, um, one thing that can be helpful, you talked about how your mother-in-law comes uh, once or twice a year, particularly around vacations, um, and if you find yourself having to tell her, no, we don't want you here at Christmas. No, we don't want you here in the summertime. No, we don't want you here for two weeks during spring break or whenever it is that she comes. Um, if you guys can change your routine and take a trip somewhere else this year and you can let her know, sorry, we're not going to be there. Um, that's easier than uh, that's easier than just saying, no, we're not going to open the door when you show up on our doorstep. Um, but as Carvel said, um, if when when you want to get a toxic person out of your life, uh, it it's not just a matter of making a phone call and letting them know that. So. Um, yeah, you're going to need your husband on your side about this and you're going to need to be resolute. But this seems very, very serious and it seems to go beyond just questions about babysitting. You know, the, the, the final thing that I was thinking here is that one of the things that's easy to forget, especially when your kids are really young and you're dealing with all these complicated family dynamics and other adults, and even in marriages, you know, when you have arguments in your marriages and when things aren't healthy and good, is that, you know, little kids, this is the only exposure they have to adult relationships, right? So aside from whatever your feelings are about the interaction your son might have with your mother-in-law, 
Think about what your son is seeing and hearing and absorbing and normalizing with these other adult interactions, the yelling, the screaming, the, you know, the substance abuse stuff. Um, it's, it's not good to put that in the frame as being something that is okay, that we tolerate, that's just part of a family. It's just the way certain people are. Like you really want to do your best to model healthy interactions between adults in front of your kids all the time, obviously. But I I think especially when they're really young, um, that's even – it's almost even more important because those are the ways that they come to sort of imprint and define love, define affection, you know, define familial bonds. And that's just something I think about a whole lot. It's something that, you know, in my own family dealing with – relationships that I knew weren't good for me, that's kind of what affected my decision, that I had the right to not have my kid just see what, you know, a a situation where people were yelling at each other or, you know, throwing things or, you know, being a 65-year-old baby or whatever, you know, it's just, I, I think that's really important to keep that in mind. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, thanks very much for the call. Um, I hope this works out. Let us know how it goes. Um, We will be back in a second with another call. Time for our next call. Hello, Gabriel, Rebecca, and Carvel. Love the podcast. My husband and I have a five-year-old daughter and a 19-month-old son. For most of my daughter's toddlerhood and all of my son's infancy, I was a stay-at-home mom. But about five months ago, I got a position at a news station which requires me to work odd hours, including weekends. Ever since I rejoined the workforce, I've feel like my role as a more dominant parent has shifted over to my husband. During the week, this is great. My husband totally brings his A-game. He gets the kids ready in the morning and makes sure they get out the door to school and daycare on time. But during the weekends, my husband is, for lack of a better word, a bit lazy when it comes to parenting the kids. I love taking my kids out, letting them enjoy new experiences, meeting up with friends, and trying new things. But my husband isn't too keen on taking both of the kids out when he's by himself with them, so they spend a lot of time cooped up inside the house. Sometimes it seems like he's just doing the bare minimum. He feeds them the same food because he definitely knows that that they'll eat them. He lets them watch the same TV shows and movies over and over again because he already knows that that's what they like. If my daughter's content staring at the iPad for the entire day, then he just lets her. I feel like this is not only lazy, but unsafe. A recent example is when my daughter began watching questionable videos that I felt might be too scary for her. When I brought it up, it was brushed off. When she has inevitably started becoming scared in the middle of the night, my husband actually asked me, how am I supposed to monitor what she watches every single minute? That really bothered me. I've tried making suggestions and even deals with him to entice him to take the kids out, turn off the TV, or even just try new food. But I also kind of feel like it's not my place because I'm not the one physically present to parent. I don't expect him to be a camp counselor or anything, but I'd really love it if he could put a little more effort into spending quality time with the kids. Should I just let it go if, at the end of the day, the kids are in one piece? I'd love to hear what you guys think. Find Novelty mom versus if it ain't broke, don't fix it, dad. Yeah, to me, this sounds more like a relationship issue than a parenting issue, um, <laughs> at least for at least for the, for the most part, because yeah. the, I, and I, I actually hear this caller saying 
um, expressing like out loud that she knows that she could just back off and not worry about it because she's not there. Because what she's basically saying is, please do this thing. I'm grateful you're doing this thing, but I want you to do it the way that I want you to do it. Um, and, you know, maybe looking for issues where there might not be any. And listen, I'm not saying that like your husband's parenting style is in line with my parenting style. I mean, somewhat it is. I certainly have a lot of lazy days, especially when my kids were little and I was it was the weekend and I was tired. But um, I don't know. It sounds like they're safe. I don't necessarily think watching scary videos ventures into the realm of the unsafe. Maybe the inconvenient, if in fact she is having nightmares, maybe that is something, one thing that you guys could come to some sort of agreement about. But what this sounds like to me is, you know, you have kind of a nice cooperative, co-parenting, sharing responsibilities situation here. You guys are both doing a lot of heavy lifting in your family system. You're both working hard. You're both, you know, being the best parents you can be. And I don't think it's all that abnormal for there to be, you know, two different parenting styles under one roof. You know, my husband, Kevin, is very much like your husband. He's sort of on the if it ain't broke, don't fix it uh, philosophy around everything, (laughs) not just parenting, but, you know, all, all sorts of things. And, you know, I sort of struggle with this, too. What is fair to ask? What isn't fair to ask? But that where I've sort of drawn the line and frankly, a lot of that has come just from being on this podcast and listening to these conversations and having them uh, with Gabe and Carvel is that like, if you have the pie and you feel comfortable with the part of it that you're responsible for and the part of it that your husband's responsible for, and you don't feel like either one of you is overburdened or or being asked or, um, you know, being forced to do more than you need to because there's an inequity. Um, And if everyone is safe and happy and comfortable and loves each other and is, for the most part, having a good time and moving forward with their lives, like, I I don't see a huge parenting problem here. It does. It just it sounds like your communication around it um, needs to change a little bit. And it also seems like maybe I wouldn't think as much about what is my kid doing at 2.15 p.m. on a Saturday um, you know, when they're with dad, they're with dad. I mean, that's that's kind of what's going on. And I don't know, I, I, I could be not 100 percent right on mm. this, but that's kind of what my instinct is telling me. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with you about that. I think that's a smart observation to separate the relationship issue out from the parenting issue, because that's sort of what I was struggling with listening to this question. I was I was trying to find a parenting issue until and I didn't realize until you said it that there really isn't one. Um, there are uh, there are as many different ways to parent a child well as there are parents, really. And so it's unlikely that two people are going to agree on everything. And that that is the reality of co-parenting. And of course, we've all been there. And so um, nothing that you're describing while you know, while it's not, I don't know if it's ideal, I don't know if it's like exactly as as I would do it, although it's pretty close in some ways. um, Nothing you're describing strikes the alarm bells in me like, oh, this is a problem and it needs to be addressed and this guy needs to be talked to about it. And, you know, here's the reason why it has to stop. The one, so so I do think it does have to do with the the sense of relationship and there's probably other issues happening here because I think it whenever the um, family system experiences a change in who does what, there are 
there are transitional feelings around that. There's, I used to have this, I mean, there was a way that the, the caller phrased it, uh, that I don't quite remember, but it was something like, um, you know, I no longer get to be the dominant parent. And to me, that's a telling phrasing because that is a real thing to take time and, and recognize that that feels different, that you, you, you felt that when you were home, you were the dominant parent and that was a comfortable place for you. And you felt that you had kind of like general domain, and were the kind of last line, you know, kind of like the, the top, the head honcho when it came to parenting decisions. And now as a result of this new situation, you feel that you no longer have that. And that is unsettling. And that is that that does feel disempowering. And those are real feelings. And that's not to be, um, you know, that's something you have to consider and kind of work yourself through and sit with. But it doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, the way that your husband is doing things is inherently wrong. I will offer one very straightforward tactical solution about the thing relating to scary videos and their um, what you believe might be their relationship to your daughter's fear at night, which is that uh, you should ask your husband to be in charge of dealing with her when she's afraid. And that's one thing that may allow him to maybe more deeply reconsider hmm. whether or not he should be more careful about what he lets her watch. I mean – on the surface, the idea of like I can't control what they watch is technically true, but it's also true that that as a parent, we have to make constant decisions about how closely we're going to monitor. There is a way you can monitor more closely. Now, whether or not you choose to do that and choose to give up whatever else you give up to do that is, is an individual parenting decision. I think there's a lot of ways to do that that are fine, but perhaps – he may be willing to exert to take to watch a little more closely if he's the one who's responsible for dealing with what may be the fallout from some of the stuff that she's seeing. I think this problem is bigger than you guys think it is. I think it's definitely hmm. it's definitely the problem that you guys named, which is that there, there's a, a mismatch of expectations in the relationship, and and that's been heightened by the fact that the mom, uh, you know, sounds like she has a cool new job. She works at a TV station, um, but she has to work weekends, and and maybe that you know that's a choice that she's making, and so now she has to give over some parental autonomy over to her husband, and and that kind of shift is always uh, has a few bumps in the road. Uh, at the same time, there's a – I think this is not just a difference of parenting styles or it's not just like, oh, I think they need more vegetables and he doesn't care about vegetables or whatever. This seems more profound um, because it seems to go to like, well, do you really care about what they're doing at any given time as long as they're physically safe? Like is your – bar for like a good way for your kids to be spending time that they're not in physical danger of getting like bitten by a wolf. If that's where you set the bar, then yeah, have them play on the iPad or watch videos all day. That's fine. Uh, and if you set the bar somewhere different, if you want them to like maybe do a variety of different activities, including some watching videos and some playing on the iPad and then some socializing with other kids or going out and doing something outside or seeing something different, um, that's just a really different orientation. Like I have definitely had days or weekends where I have parented essentially like the husband in this story, right? I have definitely had periods of like, oh, the kids are just going to watch TV now. But I felt bad about it. And that's the way in which my orientation is different from that husband's orientation because I have like a different set of goals in mind. That's not the parent that I want to be, even if it's sometimes the parent that I am. 
Um, and if the husband is in charge of them all weekend, every weekend, and they and watching TV is just fine, um, I, I that feels like a difficult, a, a hard thing to reconcile with the mom's vision of of the, what the kids' experience should be. Now, the mom's vision of what the kids' experience should be may be a little bit uptight. Some of the things that the mom listed, like do they they eat the same food over and over again? Fine, some kids eat the same as long as it's like enough different nutrients. Then let them eat what they are going to eat. Do they watch the same movies over and over again? Kids love watching the same movies over and over again because they are not jaded like us, and they enjoy repetition and they learn something. <laughs> from it every single time. I don't care if they're watching the same movie every single time. If they're literally spending all weekend, every weekend inside looking at a screen, that doesn't feel great to me and it doesn't feel great to the mom either. And I I can't argue with her that she should just let it go and feel like, yeah, that's a great thing for your kids to be doing is looking at a screen all weekend, every weekend. Yeah, but I I kind of have a problem with the fact that she characterized her husband as lazy. I mean, to me, that's He does sound lazy. He sounds really lazy. Take him to a fucking museum once in a while. Listen, we don't know that he didn't. We don't. We don't know. We don't. We are. We have to keep in mind. We are hearing the angst of one yeah. person here. We're not getting exactly. the whole picture, and yeah. it's sad. It, you know, we yeah, don't. Yeah, maybe know the husband that... is secretly a great parent who's taking his kids on lots of enriching activities all the time in a manner that's far, far outside the picture painted maybe by the, the evidence oh, that we have available. M- maybe he's have a wonderful parent it's... who lets his kid watch the. You look at the iPad all day. It doesn't mean he's not a great parent. It really doesn't. And I, I think it's. Um, um, I think it is limiting to sort of define great parenting by the activities that you sort of spend your Saturday doing. Sure, there's more to it than that. But the one act, the one aspect of parenting that we have under discussion now is what do you do when you're in charge of the kids all weekend? And mm-hmm. if the answer to that is they look, I put them in front of a screen and I can't even monitor what it is that they're watching, I'm going to say in that one aspect, you are not doing great as a parent. We're monitoring. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's not that hard. It's hard for me. I mean, maybe I just it's hard for me to believe that there's literally zero monitoring as much as like I can't monitor every single thing. It's like I miss some things. And it's also I mean, and I could be completely wrong about this, but it doesn't it, it, it this would be different if if if. It was like, this is the way this guy parents all the time. This is what we experience every day, seven days a week. He doesn't do anything. Well, two days a week because the other days they're at school or daycare. But, yeah, but, but, but that's but 100%. Days, that's his time. That, but, that, that's no, when he's but on, on. No, but no, he has time with them in the morning and in the evening in those days. And on those days, according to the reporter, who is the mother, he's a great parent. He's a superstar dad on those days. He's great at getting them so, dressed and out the door. He's great at process- also- processing the logistical morning <laughs> stuff. I also am pretty good at processing the logistical morning stuff, to be honest. That's, uh, she, used the words, she, she used the word superstar, which suggests to me that not only is it, is, is it adequate, it's like good. Like he's good. Yeah, he's good. And so, good in the mornings. Yes. And so my belief is that he's probably fine on the weekends too. But that, but that his center of fine is different than hers, which is not, again, like I'm not, I, I personally am saying like, I don't know that I would choose this parenting strategy that he's choosing, but I also don't know that it con- that it's such a, a big problem that it constitutes a, a household crisis is the point that I'm making. 
What if you what if you're what if you didn't choose this parenting strategy but your partner what if you were in the caller's position and and your partner yes, was I've in charge in the all, all weekend and the kids are doing nothing but watching TV do you say well yeah, it's not I've, how I would do it but it's fine Yeah it's I've been in I've been in the caller's position and you and, didn't, uh, and you didn't because, have a conversation about that or you did Well let me finish well because okay so because I co-parent with another person there have been multiple times especially after we set I mean this happened when we were together but like this was a real this was a sticking point early on when we were separated that like we found that we made vastly different decisions about how to parent and it was bothersome to, <laughs> to me some of the things that Joe chose to do I thought they were wrong and and I know for a fact that it was bothersome to her some of the things I chose to do uh she she that she felt that I was wrong in some of these things. And in some of them, I was. And in some of them, she was. And this is why it's a relationship issue more than a parenting issue because at the baseline, I had the 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 baseline assumption that Joe was a good enough parent. Even though I didn't like the way she was doing certain things, I had the baseline assumption that she was a good enough parent. I believe that Joe, for most of the time, had the baseline assumption that I was a good enough parent, even if she didn't like specific things. So that being the baseline assumption, then moved the the debate about what we're doing out of the realm of, is this person destroying my precious children? And it moved it into the realm of, how do I communicate with this person about how I feel? Which is what mm. makes it a relationship issue and not a parenting one. And I think that's the situation here. So it is about communication. And I do think that the caller uh, has uh, the right to communicate in some way. And maybe that's what the caller is asking about, about their preferences, about what they would like, about what, what they would hope could happen or whatever. But I don't think that there's a parenting problem happening here. I do think there's a communication and relationship problem happening here. I, I agree. And I'll tell you how I have handled this exact issue in my family is, you know, Kevin is a superstar like this woman's husband at getting stuff done. Like if, if something if I'm away on a trip or if I have to leave for work early or whatever, like he gets it all done. And typically the way that happens is because there's like a list, right? Like Teddy needs lunch. You know, this happens, this happens, this happens. And, you know, I think I've said on the show before that one of my frustrations is that I have to make the list. I feel like everyone should just know what needs to be done. But there is a thing that if there is a list and stuff needs to be done, like he'll get all the stuff done. So on the times where I've had to work on the weekends or I've been away, I've put on the list, like take the kids to the movies or like, uh, you know, I've actually put activities on the list so that it sort of was like part of the spectrum of like the transactional stuff that had to be done. Oh, yeah, that's right. The kids uh, at some point we should go to the dog park is on the list. Um, And that was it turned out to be a communication thing, not because Kevin is like a bad person who like wouldn't think to bring the kids and the dogs to the dog park. It doesn't make him a bad person. He doesn't think that way. And that's just not the way that his like you know, set mindset is, but is important to me. And rather than saying, hey, you're lazy because you don't think this way in terms of building a day and activities for the kids, I say, hey, um, I'm just going to put this in the list because it would be something that would be great if they were able to do today. And sort of treat it like as a transactional thing. And that way it also takes the sort of loaded emotional stuff out of it if it doesn't happen. It's just like an item on a list. It's not like a philosophy that you failed on. I don't know. I mean, I guess I mom and dad really are fighting here, Gabe, because I don't see the same sort of loaded, um, heavy issues here with what this guy is choosing to do that you do. But I don't know. I just don't. I, I, I definitely have more problems with the way she characterized it than I did with the way she described the literal thing that she's characterizing. Mm. I don't know. 
I, I, I really, I really like the list solution. I really like the idea of just like making it a concrete assignment and and expecting that it'll get done. And usually it does, and sometimes it doesn't, and that's fine. And maybe that would work in this case as well. Unfortunately, it seems like in this relationship, it's already manifested as one of those like long running fights or issues that both sides are kind of deeply dug into their positions, uh, and so that might make it harder to come up with a logistical solution of the kind that you guys are using right right Mm, yeah that's true anyway um you've heard our positions uh you be the judge (laughs) good luck i'm the right one i am correct i I, I wonder how much of this too is informed by the fact that like carvel and i aren't married to our kids other parent right so I've come to realize over time I have zero control over the style of parenting and the activities that my ex-husband does with our kids. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've learned to let go of a lot of how much that matters. I yes. mean, certainly they tell me stories about stuff they did at their with their dad or stuff they didn't do or like conversations they had. And I'm always like, oh, it's not what I would do, whatever. But I also have no control over it. And I know that they're safe and happy and healthy. So I've realized like – they turn out fine. <laughs> they turned out completely. They're turning out yeah. fine. Um, so I wonder if that sort of adds to our laissez-faire kind of look. <laughs> I think it does, but but I think that it's not. I mean, it's like that you. It's that you have to do that in order to successfully co-parent because right. because because of the existing relationship issue, which is that if you you have to recognize that there is another. And, but I think so. Let me finish this thought. So you have to recognize that there's another person who is doing their thing, and it might not be your thing, but you have to let them do their thing to a certain extent, and that that's part of how you successfully navigate the rocky time after a divorce and in a separated co-parenting relationship. But I also think that that, that that is instructive for all couples because I mean, we, we, we all day, we get letters and emails and everything from people who are like, this is our problem. This is our problem. And how frequently do we see this? It's like the, one of the most common problems is like, I want to do this. My partner wants to do this with our kids and I'm, I'm mad about it. And I think that like, it's, it's, I mean, I, I just think that there, there is something to, Having, if you have the baseline assumption that your parent, that your partner is a good enough parent, which I think is key. And I, and I think if you don't have that baseline assumption, then you really have a relationship problem because you've chosen to have children with this person. And so you've got a real issue in your hands if you chose to have children with someone that you don't think is a good enough parent. But I think, um, in many cases, those of us, you know, in, in, in our families, we do have to believe on the, at the baseline level, partner's a good enough parent. I think in that case, we actually can afford to give them more leeway than we tend to think is kind of what I'm getting at. And that's, this sounds like one of those situations. All right. Um, this was a good discussion. It's good when we disagree in a way. <laughs> <laughs> it's better when we're right. It's, be- it's better when I'm right. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now for us to recommend something to you. Um, I have a picture book recommendation. Uh, Right after I failed at um, not mentioning Jessica during Valentine delivery this morning, uh, we went into the yellow room and, and Leo ran over to the books and he pulled a book off and ran. We read a book every morning. He pulled a book off that I had never seen before. Uh, and I said, oh, what's this book? I've never seen it before. And he said, it's really good. And he was totally right. It's a book called The Salamander Room. It's written by Anne Mazer. It's illustrated by Steve Johnson. I looked it up. It came out in like 1994, but it's still in print. You can find it at bookstores or on Amazon. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but if you have a like three-year-old or a four-year-old and you want to read a really neat picture book, The Salamander Room by Anne Mazer. Uh, Rebecca, what about you? I'm going to recommend uh, the – it's on right now on BBC America, Blue Planet 2. It is one of those nature mm. documentary series, you know, hosted by the wonderful David Attenborough, who sounds just like Winnie the Pooh. Um, and it is <laughs> beautiful. Uh, it is appointment viewing for me and my teenage kids. It is, it's, I really, really love when these series like Planet Earth and Blue Planet come out because – it just shows every you're, they're showing everybody in your living room something they have never seen before, right? Like the weird fish that like uses a rock to break open little tiny muscles, and you're like, this fish is using tools, and everyone in the living room is like, oh my god! And then you realize you're just you're sitting around as a family watching a nature documentary because they're just so beautifully made now. So I really recommend uh, uh, Blue Planet Two. I also loved the uh, reboot of Planet Earth that came out recently, and I have to say one thing: these nature documentaries are doing a really good job of right now is not showing um, I remember when the first Planet Earth came out, or maybe it was Blue Planet years ago, there were some really distressing like hunting scenes in them. Um, and it seems now like the BBC has kind of figured out that like little kids don't actually want to watch a baby dolphin getting chased by a pack of orcas and separated <laughs> from its mother. So what they tend to do instead is show these really great like escape scenes where like an animal is being chased and then it gets away at the last minute, or the sort of hunting and killing scenes that are happening happening in Blue Planet are all happening between like sea worms or whatever. So it's not the same as watching, you know, like a koala bear getting eaten by some predator. So anyway, um, I really recommend this BBC America show, Blue Planet 2, uh, for most ages. I think it's super appropriate. It's beautiful. If you have like a decent uh, television, especially that has any sort of like 3K, 4K situation, it is so unbelievably beautiful to watch and really riveting. Everyone in our family is totally riveted by it. Nice. Love it. Well, keeping in in uh, the line of nature documentaries, but going a little more domestic, I'm going to choose this documentary that Georgia and I watched a couple of weekends ago on a lark and ended up kind of like finding so weird and fascinating, which is a documentary on Netflix called The Lion in Your Living Room. It's an entire documentary about domestic house cats and all the weird stuff they do and exactly what makes them work and all the mysteries around them and how they operate and how they interact with other cats. And it just was, I, we'd never sat and watched a documentary about house cats before. We're not even a house cat family. We're a dog family. We're a hundred percent sure on that, but we do think cats are amazing and cute. But this was just, I mean, it's a, as far as documentaries go, it's not going to win any awards. You know, it's like, here's some shots of a cat and then here's some scientific facts and then here's a talking head who's like a person whose whole life is cats explaining the scientific behavior behind cats and then here's another shot of a cat. But it just ended up over time like accumulating into 
all this fascinating information about what they do and why they do it. And I, I just think it, um, you know, we sat through it thinking it was going they were going to turn it off or sort of get bored, but we ended up watching the whole thing. And it was just like a cute little documentary, the lion in your living room. Um, lots of facts about cats. So if you're a cat lover or an animal lover, or if you just think nature is weird and wild and your kids do too, then I recommend that one. Nice. All right, that's our show. Uh, if you have a question that you want us to bat around, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Uh, you can reach us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash momanddadarefighting. Uh, this show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.